This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. All right, let's pray. As they, and they'll set up more chairs. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to come together and to consider uh, just important matters, relevant matters, uh, Lord, serious matters, yet matters that we, we, we do not have to be fearful of, matters that we can entrust to you. Uh, Lord, you have placed us in this world at this time for your glorious purposes. And so I pray that as we begin this study, as we consider various worldviews, various beliefs, um, not only um, what they believe, but our response and how we might be the salt and earth, uh, the salt and light of this earth. Help, help us, Lord. I pray that we would, in light of this class, love and cherish your word and truth all the more, that we would have courage to stand for truth, that we would have compassion on the lost, that we would love your church, that we would love the things that you have given us so that we might know you and we might reach this world for your glory. So be with us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to do a big picture. They keep coming. It's great. Um, I'm going to do a bigger picture of kind of what we're aiming to do for the class. And, um, and then the next three weeks following this, we're going to dive into a lot more detail on some of the various worldviews and beliefs that we'll hit on briefly today. But I do think it's important as we begin a class just to consider the landscape, where we are, where we're wanting to go. Um, and, and so I'll be teaching this class. Drew Williams, he's going to teach... Session two on expressive individualism. We'll talk about that briefly. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, Kevin Shipp is going to talk briefly about what it looks like to reach the world. And then we're going to end by looking at the therapeutic and the sexual revolution. Um, and so I did want to highlight, um, we're standing on the shoulders of Carl Truman to do this. This is not something that we just thought, hey, let's do this and develop our own material and um, Carl Truman, he is a historian, he is a professor at Grove City College, I believe now, but um, he has written, his first book that he wrote was called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and if you like thicker 400-page books, this is a great one to read. I, I would say I read it and enjoyed it because he goes into much more detail, so if you want to learn more on the background of the you know, the philosophers, the thinkers, the, the folks who are establishing what we're going to talk about today. This is wonderful. If you want more of an accessible book, you'll actually read probably, you know, let's be honest. He condensed it down to about 200 pages, and it's called Strange New World, hence where we got the title. Um, and so these are both available in the bookstore, and encourage you to read those. So this class is that it's designed to help you understand the times which we are living in and how to live faithfully within this culture. So the question is, how do we follow, not just how do we live, but how do we follow Christ, right? So we're, we're wanting to follow Christ in this time and in this place. And so our hope is this class will equip you to respond with wisdom, compassion, and courage, because we are living in a post Christian age. We are living in a time where we don't assume 
People have heard the gospel. People know the gospel. People have heard the Bible. Uh, We're coming from a more secular standpoint where people, even on campus, even in the South, even in Knoxville, they may not have ever heard of Jesus Christ. Um, and but yet they have heard of worldviews, of beliefs, and other systems of thought. Just because of that is what is in our culture. And so Drew shared this quote when he announced the class a couple weeks ago. I wanted to begin with it again and follow it up with Kevin DeYoung. Carl Truman. This is from Carl Truman in his book. He says every age has had its darkness and its dangers. The task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately. So it's really what we want to do. We want to both try to seek to understand what is going on right now. What, what is it? How did we get here now? Because actually you can trace it. You can see how the development of ideas and thoughts and worldviews has gotten us to a place where, where it is appropriate to say in our world that I am a man trapped in a woman's body, or I am a woman trapped in a man's body, and that is okay. That is, a, that is something that people will say is, can be true. And yet, this is what I love what Kevin DeYoung says, and this should be our response. More than ever, we must be ready for someone to ask us for the reason of the hope that we have even if our hope to them looks like hate. And so we do, we live in a strange new world. It is quite astonishing to think, think about this, in the early 2000s, homosexual marriage would have been broadly rejected by people. In early 2000s, now in 2023, transgenderism has become normative. And one doesn't have to look to the academy, one doesn't have to look to the government, one doesn't have to look... Um, other places to see this. One can simply go to Disney+. Plus. One can simply watch a number of movies they have released and what they are featuring are gender non-conforming characters and homosexuality. At the same time that Truman's Strange New World came out, Disney released a movie called Strange World. And as one author wrote, any youth unfortunate enough to have seen the former should be required to read the latter. Disney's film represents the cultural sickness Truman's book analyzes. So if you have seen Strange New World or A Strange World, I will give you a copy of Strange New World to read because to counter things that you have seen in that film. Ethan, the main character of the movie, he, he's the main character of the movie, and his homosexuality plays no small part in the film. As a romance buds early in the film with another teen boy, Diazzo. It's a flirtation Ethan's parents and grandfather encourage. And the filmmakers clearly want the kindergartens in the audience to assume it's as natural as any other romantic relationship. So whether we like it or not, these films are being made not only to change our hearts and minds, but also to reflect young hearts and minds. The erroneous assumptions of the strange new world Carl Truman describes are not strange at all to most members of the younger generations. They have become normal. And so for the parents present here, this is a challenge. And as leaders, we want to disciple this generation. We want to think clearly on these things. We want to present a biblically grounded reality that can compete for and ultimately win the hearts and minds of our kids, our work is cut out for us. 
to win the hearts and minds of our kids, of students, of this world. And so, we need, we need to be able to share the hope that is within us. So I think this is where resources like Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Strange New World, they're gifts to us. And so we're very excited to, to begin this class. So in your outline, first point, we're going to look at the three big ideas. The three big ideas that we're going to look at more in depth. So I'm going to go through these, not uh, very long, because next week Drew is going to spend 40 minutes on this first idea. Um, but I wanted to give a general overview. Here's where we're going. And then we're going to look at what we're calling the three R's. How do we read the culture? How do, how do we resist the culture? And how do we reach the culture? How do we do this? And then we'll end with a virtue that I think we're, that we are not appreciating as much as we should. So, first point. Three big ideas. Viktor Frankl, he was imprisoned in the Nazi concentration camp of Auschwitz and Dachau during the Second World War. He was a Jewish professor of neurology, psychiatry, psychiatry, and he became world-renowned for his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which sold over 8 million copies. In it, he unfolds the essence of his philosophy that came to be called logotherapy, meaning that name the most meaning, the most fundamental human motive is to, is to find meaning in life. So he observed in the horrors of the concentration camps that man can endure almost any how of life if he has a why. But here's the quote that Here's a quote that he had that was just very stirring. He said, I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblinka, and Maidanek were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desks and in the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. So <laughs> what's the point of that? The point of that is that ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences, consequences that bless or destroy. People's behavior, good or bad, does not come out of nowhere. It comes from prevailing views of reality that take root in the mind and bring forth good or evil. So one of the ways that the Bible makes plain the truth that ideas have practical consequences, this is not foreign to the Bible, Paul says this in Romans 15, 4. He says, whatever was written in former days was written that we might have hope. So the ideas, the truths presented in scriptures produce the practical consequence of hope. So there's truths, there's ideas, there are these things that we get from the Bible that will produce things in our life. Paul says the aim of our charge is love, the imparting of ideas through a charge or through instruction. It produces something. It produces love. Hope and love do not come from nowhere. They grow out of ideas. So views of reality that we have come from Scripture as well. So, and this, so this idea that ideas have consequences. Philosophers who do their philosophizing in their worldviews and they try to transfer these and they, and they sow seeds in this, in this bed that has grown over time. We're talking about philosophers who are going back to like the 18th century. We're going back even further, some 16th. And, and we're talking about they were sowing seeds that we are now reaping the fruit of. And so we're not just talking about five years ago. We're talking about 500 years ago. And there are just these ideas that have been sown, that have been produced, that we are now seeing come 
to fruition. So first, this first big idea is the psychological world, expressive individualism. This, is, this idea of expressive individualism is, is foundational. It is at the bottom of everything that we're facing today. Here's some slogans behind it. Hey, you be you. You need to be true to yourself. Follow your heart. You need to find yourself. I mean, you can just hear this, right? You can just hear this in, in our media. You can hear it. You can just see it being portrayed at the Grammys. You be you. It's just being celebrated. It's being shown as this is the way. You need to find yourself. So expressive individualism is coming. It's emerging from this romantic expressionism of the late 18th century. So this did not just come because of some celebrity thought, hey, this is a great idea. Let me tell you to do this. No, this, this was sown. These ideas of expressing, expressing oneself came out and this, the seeds were sown for this in romantic expressionism. It is an understanding that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. Do you get that? Each one of us has his, her, his or her own way and that we are called to live that out. We express it rather than conform to modes imposed by others, especially institutions. So we find our meaning by giving expression to our own feelings and desires. So the culture that in the world that these feelings and desires are expressed in is what Charles Taylor, he's a philosopher, he's, he's given a lot of words, a lot of thought to this. This is what he says about living in a culture of authenticity. He says, the culture of authenticity is one where each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity and that it is important to find and live out one, one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from the outside, whether by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. So this idea with expressive individualism, it is pushing us, it is putting authority in our feelings, how we feel. So, so I can say today that I am actually a man trapped in a woman's body, even though everything objectively about that is false. Well, I feel that. I feel that within. And it doesn't matter what any external outside force has to say. It doesn't matter what your grandfather or your great-grandfather or what science said generations ago. Guess what? It's true to me. And that's all that matters. And to say something else is to be hating me, is to be denying me as a person. And so we've, we've reached this. And so this idea, this, this idea of expressive individualism, it is foundational. So Drew is going to spend uh, all kinds of time on this next week because it is foundational. It is pervasive in our culture. It is actually pervasive and can be pervasive in the church. So I think you have, we, we can't just kind of be pointing our fingers right now, guys. We have to be asking ourselves these questions. Do I, am I a person who loves to live under the authority of God? Do I love and cherish the authority and identity that I have not within, but in Christ and who He is? Or am I being tempted to put more weight in authority in how I 
feel. So this is this was added to. So the next idea, this um, this was all the more encouraged in the therapeutic world. So we're going to look at this as well. What I feel is true. Philip Reef, he wrote a book called Triumph of the Therapeutic. And he relies heavily on Sigmund Freud's work and continues to take this foundational thought of expressive individualism and he expands it. So the authority structures as defined by the church and transcendent truths are now being dismissed. They're being denied. They're being replaced by the inner feelings and desires of man. And normally these desires are coming out in the sexual world. So we'll look at that in a moment. But So you see this, there is a progression. So we begin with this, this idea of expressive individualism. Now we're going into the therapeutic to where there's further. There, you're denying, you're saying these authority structures, you, you, you're dismissing and denying those, and then you're putting all the more weight on your feelings. But it's also being directly connected to the sexual world. So here are some examples. I want to feel love for who I am, to be pitied for what I've gone through, to feel intimately understood, to be accepted unconditionally. I want to experience a sense of personal significance and meaningfulness, to be successful in my career, to know my life matters, to have an impact. I want to gain self-esteem, to affirm that I am okay, to be able to assert my opinions and desires. I want to be entertained, to feel pleasure in the endless stream of performances that delight my eyes and tickle my ears. I want a sense of adventure, excitement, action, and passion. So that I experience life as thrilling and moving. So these feelings, they shouldn't be denied to the person since they have a, they're, they're having them come from within. And, and as Rousseau, he's another thinker that we'll, we'll consider and look at, but he and others would say the inner man's nature is good. So here's the foundational thing, guys. The expressive individualism, this idea with the therapeutic movement, what they are saying is that actually the inner man is good. That what is coming, the desires that are coming from within our heart, from within ourselves, are actually good. The problem is not the inner man. The problem is society. The problem is that we are a victim of those around us. They don't appreciate who I am. They are not considering how I feel. They are dismissing the ideas and the feelings that I have and are not letting me live to my greatest potential. And so it is on them. Do you, do you hear that? Do you see that? It's so important that we were able to identify these things. And also, so here's what Reef writes. Here, here's an example. The wisdom of the next social order As I imagine it, so he's looking ahead, here's what's going to come. The wisdom of the next social order, as I imagine it, would not reside in right doctrine, administered by the right men who must be found, but rather in doctrines amounting to permission for each man to live an experimental life. So do you hear that? Do you understand that? So he's saying he would rather, instead of right doctrine being administered by right men, by right men to lead our lives, something external telling us how we should feel, maybe our feelings aren't right, we should rather doctrines amounting to permission for each man to live an experimental life. So how I feel, the desires that I have, I should be able to try those out. I should be able to find myself. So hey, I feel this way. I think I'm going to be, I'm, 
you know, biologically, I am a man. But guess what? I'm feeling like a woman. I want to go and experiment in being a woman. So I'm going to try that and experiment that. And that is going to be fine. But if it doesn't go how I think, then I can go back. And then it's, I'm going to actually go. So I'm experimenting. I'm just searching. And, and all this is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Because these are inner feelings of mine. And I'm just trying to find my true self. Do you just hear our culture? Do you hear just what is behind that? That we are seeking and wanting. So when someone says, this is who I am, what that means is this is how I feel. It's good for you all to realize that. Okay? So when you're talking to someone who is operating at this worldview, who's not a Christian, when they say, this is who I am, what they are really saying to you is, this is how I feel. That is important for you to recognize. And that can change tomorrow. Don't waste your life can become my best life now. I'm looking for my actualized self. And then this leads into the sexual world. Sexual, sexual feelings become who we are. So you can see how the sexual revolution is downstream from this revolution in the self. Transgenderism doesn't, just, doesn't happen without this idea of expressive individualism this, that Drew will hit on. So this is, where, this is where Truman begins his book. Listen to this. The origins of this book lie in my curiosity about how and why a particular statement has become regarded as coherent. I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. My grandfather died in 1994, less than 30 years ago. And yet, had he ever heard that sentence uttered in his presence, I have little doubt that he would have burst out laughing and considered it a piece of incoherent gibberish. Yet, one can see by following in the very quick overview we've looked at, the philosophies and these ideas have had consequences on our society. And now, to laugh and consider something gibberish could cost you greatly in our world today. So objective and observable reality is no longer the standard by which we measure life, guys, in our world. That's where these ideas have taken us. So our sexual feelings, no matter what they are, must be given the ability to be fully expressed. Our psychosis, our neurosis, our problems occur more from the constraint of sexual energy. That's Freud. We as a culture have weaponized our inner feelings to any outside authority. I don't care if it's the church, the school, trying to parental authority. Anything that wants to have any influence, the world is pushing that away. Our society is now completely changing because of this. And so it's important. It's important that we understand and know these ideas. Not, and I would say, and we'll get to this, but not for the sake of argument, right? We're not, this class is not meant to weaponize all of us so we can go destroy some arguments. That's not the purpose of this class. We do want to do that. We do want to ask questions. We do want to engage with people, but that's not the end goal. We want to understand when I talk to somebody and I understand how they are thinking about reality, it helps me. It helps me see, okay, I need to ask some questions here of this person. They're, they're, this isn't just a politically charged engagement. This is a person who is lost, who is lost from the truths of this world, who are believing their feelings more than what is objectively true. And I have the opportunity to come alongside them and tell them the truth. And so that's why we're doing this class. So here's how we can do this. Point two, the three R's. The framework or lens that we're going to go through, 
these, these three big ideas. And, and compliments to Drew Williams. He thought of this. Uh, he's very helpful in this. So thanks for thinking through this framework, Drew. But his, um, this first idea is we want to read the culture. So we want to read it. That's what we've been doing these past few minutes is we've been reading and thinking about what is the culture actually saying. So we want to be able to see what it says. We want to be able to understand what's going on in our world. I think that is something we as Christians are called to do. It is faithful for us. We, are, we can't just pull away. We can't just be like, okay, I'm going to disengage. I'm just gone. Sorry. Peace. I'm going to the Smoky Mountains. You know? Bye. No. We, we're not called to do that. I think there's wisdom. I think I, I, there's wisdom in, in people seeing what is best for their family. So people who are moving or traveling, you know, changing because of certain things. I get that. But we can't just disengage. We have to read and understand what's going on in our culture. But we also have to be discerning. And so how do we gain discernment? Well, we need to ask questions. We have to, we as a culture, we as a church, we as people, we're not good at asking questions. We love to talk and give answers, but we don't really like to ask questions. I think this is an area where we can grow. As we read the culture, as we engage with people, something that I try to do now is when I'm talking to someone and, I, and it's clear that we believe different things and then they say something, then I'm like, oh, I got you. I'm gonna, nope, I stop. because, And then I try to ask two more questions. So instead of just trying to, all right, here's my argument. Here's, here's the thing. No, I take a step back and I try to engage with that person more and understand them. Where did this belief come from? What is their history? Where have they come about this idea that this is true? And, and what you can find in these moments is as you read the culture and even individuals, you begin, I think the Lord helps you to begin to engage with that person. We're not just dealing with an idea here. We're dealing with an image bearer of God. And so we want to read the culture. We want to understand it. So questions as we're reading, similar to as we read a book, who is the author of this? Where did it come from? Where did this culture come from? What is this author? What are they trying to accomplish? What is the end goal here? How, how is this structured? What is the framework that this culture is operating at? What does the structure tell us about the intent of the people making it? Where, where are they wanting to take us? What is it saying? What is it doing? What effect is it having on people? So we just need to be good question askers. We need to seek to try to understand. This is the beauty. What I love about Truman is that he's asked these questions and he's given us a book to help us. So he's done a lot of the hard work for us. But I think for us, this is a way of life. We want to read the culture. We want to be learners. We want to understand. And what I have found through this process of reading and studying, there's just much more that goes into how we arrived at this cultural moment than purely who is elected in office. Even technological advancement has influenced things. The affluence of our society. We, just, we live in a time and place where history matters. All these things are playing are at play here. And so we, we don't want to be ignorant of that. We want to be mindful. Yet we not only want to read and understand our culture, we want to resist it. So we have to have a biblical worldview for this to happen. We need to be theologically and culturally discerning. You need to be able, we need to be able, and I'm not saying you have to be Carl Truman, but we need to be able to, to read and to, and, and, and to take things in and the lens which we are reading and looking at this is through the Bible. 
is through Scripture. So the, the first place we want to go as we are reading and investigating the culture is, okay, how does this pair up with God's Word? These people are saying the out of the inner man comes good. Well, that's very contrary, right, to a biblical worldview. It's, it's a little different, right? <laughs> I mean, and so it's important, okay, well, that's in disagreement of Scripture, and it's a significant disagreement. It's a significant thing that we cannot move or shake from to where, oh, this is the way that you view yourself and I view myself are very different. Let's talk about that. How did you arrive at this? So we want to resist, but we have to realize the world is preaching to us. This, is, this isn't just happening in the academy. It's happening in media. It's happening in sports. Like I said, Disney Plus, the Super Bowl, this tonight. So tonight, it will have commercials that is preaching this to us. Believe me, it will. Politics, every sphere of life. And what I love what John Piper, he, he says, what John Piper says about this. He says, as you swim in the culture, be a dolphin that cuts through the currents, not a jellyfish that goes with the flow. I love that imagery. We want to, be, we want to cut through the currents. We don't want to just kind of just be lifeless and like, all right, wherever. We're going to be tossed to and fro by this world. And Okay, I'm over here now. Well, I guess I'm over here now. No, we want to be people of conviction. We want to be people who stand on truth. And we want to swim against this tide of what the culture has. So resistance to the culture is fighting the temptation to be conformed to the world. So this is where Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is the Christian worldview. This isn't just about what I want or what I feel, but what is the will of God? What is pleasing and acceptable and perfect to Him? Colossians 3, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ your life appears, then you also will appear with him. So these are the glorious realities. These are the things that we have to stand on. This is the lens. Okay, so what does it mean for me to set my mind on things that are above? And how is that going to help me to discern in what the will of God is? To be transformed by the renewal of our minds. May people, this is what I want more than anything. I think when this happens and we're being transformed, and we are being conformed to the image of Christ, people are not just going to know what we are against. They're going to know what we treasure. They're going to know. It's not just that I'm against you. It's that I found this treasure hidden in a field, and it's so much better. And the reality is, is that this sexual revolution, all these people, and we're beginning to see it a little bit, but people go down this road, of expressive individualism and, and, and living out their desires and what they find is that they're still broken. It's not fulfilling. And what we have as the church is to say, not, not we told you so, but hey, here is Christ. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you about the one who will truly satisfy your soul. Let me tell you about the one that you, that you actually are longing for. And that this world holds out this promising Savior, which is you. But it's unsatisfying and it leads only to death. But let me tell you about the one 
the, the, the one that you can run to and taste and see that he is good and leads to eternal life. That is our goal. And, and I think what, what this means, too, is what are we most excited about? When, as we think about resisting the culture, we don't want the culture to dictate what we are most excited about. We don't want our children to see that we are ex- more excited about other things than Christ. Your friends, there's this idea in resisting the culture, we don't let the culture shape how we live. And so I think for us, it's more, how am I living? How is this being played out in my life? This isn't just a mental exercise for us, is it? This is a way of life. This is an identity. This is who we are following. So our kids, they might, that you're, if you have kids or if, if you live with roommates who aren't Christians or if you are sharing the gospel with people on campus, what they're going to, they, they may not remember or see everything that you say, but what, they will, but what will stay with them is what you are most excited about. What will stay with them is what you love the most. Third R, reach. John 17, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. Acts 17 there, it talks about the way that, that, um, that Jason, some of the brothers before the city authorities, they're saying, these men have turned the world upside down. So it's just, this, I love that idea. That's what we're doing. We're turning the world upside down. These, what we're, that's what we're doing as Christians. Our task then is not to withdraw from the world, nor to be confused with the world, but to remain in the world, maintaining witness to the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit and absorbing saying, come on, bring the malice, bring it all. But we are protected by our Father in heaven, and what we respond to is we're going to pray and faithfully proclaim the hope that is in us, is within us. Second Peter 3, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Oh, Lord, may we... When you return, may we, may we be diligent to be found by you without spot or blemish and at peace. But I love this. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So Christ has not returned. So what does that mean? Salvation is still possible. The mission is still going on. We have things to do. There is work to be done. There are people to be reached and so this class, what we, are, what we hope more than anything is that this is not just, okay, let's, exam- let's examine the strangeness of this world. No, let's examine our world, but we're going into the world. And we have a message to proclaim. We're able to share it. We're able to proclaim it. We're able to live it out. What a glorious privilege we have. What a humbling reality that apart from the grace of God, we would be no different than them. No different. We would be right where they are. But God has opened our eyes to behold his glory. He has opened our eyes to see the foolishness of this world and the power of his word. And now we get to tell people about that. That's what we get to tell people about. That's why we get to be here is to live and treasure Christ and make him known. So let's be excited about Christ. Let's be excited about his church be excited about what he calls us to do. Let's let's be like the disciples when they left. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy 
to suffer for the name of Christ. May that be our response. And then lastly, a forgotten virtue. You know, I, I have been, began reading The Patient Furman of the Early Church. If you enjoy church history, I highly recommend this book. It's been co- quoted a few times um, in sermons. I, I, be, I just began reading it, and it has been so encouraging. And it's available in the bookstore. It's faith-building. Um, I think as I was reading and studying for the class and reading this of the early church, it just gave me faith. And, and, it, and it's this idea, hey, there's nothing new under the sun, Right? I mean, it's not like we're living in an age where, oh man, all this is... No, there's, there's things that are new because of technology and whatnot, but there is, in a sense, the church has faced and been faced with these moments. But, but one thing that this author talks about, he, said, he talks about patience. And I was so challenged by that, that the early church, they were a patient people. Are we a patient people? Or are we wanting to see God bring about change now? Are we wanting to see this, to see our world change now? Are we willing to just faithfully plod, faithfully commit ourselves to the Word of God and the work of God, trusting that in due time, He will accomplish all His purposes? We do all these things patiently. And I think that's a challenging, that is such a challenging um, virtue for us. I think we live in an age where we love production, we love efficiency, we love things to be done now, and everything's coming at us fast. And this idea of this patient ferment, Origen called this idea that there is this invisible power, that idea of the fermenting church, there is this invisible power that is building and working, and the church is just faithfully doing what God has called it to, but there's this power that is expanding and building and working out God's glorious plan. So as we look at our current world, there's no need to fall down into unbelief and discouragement. And yes, we want to be concerned for the world, but we have a mission that we can commit ourselves to and trust that patiently that we can wait on the Lord. Patience was considered one of the highest virtues of the early church. It was considered a peculiar, peculiarly Christian virtue. Greco-Roman society, they didn't see patience as virtuous, which is so fascinating because I think that is true of today. We do not see, our world sees patience as a virtue. I love what Alan Creeder, the, the author, says. He says this, The sources rarely indicate that the early Christians grew in number because they won arguments. Instead, they grew because of their habitual behavior, rooted in patience, was distinctive and intriguing. I love that. We don't leave here to win arguments. We don't win here so we can tell people what we think. We leave here aware that there is a God who is in control of all things, and even where we live in this cultural moment and what is taking place. And we have a mission. And we have the ability to live that mission out. There's a story told that the London Times of London at one point, early in the 1900s, posed this question to several prominent authors. What is wrong with the world today? The well-known author G.K. Chesterton is said to have responded with one sentence. What did he say? Dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. 
What is wrong with the world today? Dear sirs, I am. His witty reply is unnerving and unexpected, but I do believe it is very biblical. That when Paul was writing, what did he say? He said that he was the chief of sinners. I believe what G.K. Chesterton is saying, that when he looks at the world, he keenly and is able to say, I am part of this world. No, God is at work in me, renewing me and transforming me. But there is a humility, there is a patience, there is an awareness that God is at work. And we want to be used by the Lord humbly to advance his mission. So we want to be patient. We want to be reading the culture. We want to resist the culture. We want to reach the culture. But we also want to trust God as we do this. I love what Martin Luther wrote. We'll end with this. Take me, for example. I opposed indulgences and all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip of Amsdorf, the word was so greatly weakened, the papacy, that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. Had I wanted to start trouble... I could have started such a little game at Worms that even the emperor wouldn't have been safe. But that, but what would it have been? A mugs game. I did nothing. I left it to the word. And so it's just a powerful reminder that even in the times where we think about the Reformation, revival happening, these are things that God did that men and women committed to his word, committed to his good that he has laid out for them. They faithfully stood on what God has said. And that is what we have the privilege to do. So as we dive into this study, as we consider, so these next three weeks, we're going to do a deep dive into these, these worldviews, these competing philosophies. But let's not miss this. You, we, we can't miss this. We, I don't want to assume this is where everybody's coming in. I want to I make clear, hey, this is what we want. This is what we want to see. This is, this is why we're doing this. So may God help us do this and to be patient and, per, and preserve. And may we be salt and light, and may we entrust with him all the good works. This is what I love. Ephesians, Paul talks about that God in his mercy and sovereign grace, he's not only saved us, but he has prepared good works for us to walk in. So we can trust him with that, even as we think about the world at large. There is good that God has for his church to do. So let's entrust that to him. Lord, thank you for this morning and your word. We love to be your people. Help us, give us wisdom and insight. May we be a discerning people. May we be a people who above all loves and treasures you and lives for your glory. Pray that every person that's in attendance as they come to this class and as we learn more of all these competing worldviews that our hearts would be stirred to love you and your word all the more, more than anything. So thank you, Lord, for the confidence we have in you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. See you next week in here at 9 o'clock. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone dash u.